Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. A couple of weeks ago, when Ardell and I were spending some quality time together in quarantine, our friend James and his daughter Louisa dropped a package off on the front porch. Now, a gift from James is cause for great excitement in our house. He's a potter and a photographer and a forager and a walker and just a curious and creative observer of the world. So we brought the box into our house and found a quilt inside. I guess I didn't mention that James is also a quilter. All of James's projects have stories. He learned to make quilts for his master's thesis in documentary studies at Duke. On walks through his neighborhood, he would occasionally see household belongings piled at the curb the day before garbage pickup, and he soon realized it was refuse from evictions, in which he found prom gowns and tiny backpacks and once a journal in which a child expressed her undying love for Justin Bieber in page after heartbreaking page. <laughs> Where the rest of us see garbage, James sees stories. So we started making quilts with some of what he gathered as a way of meditating on the stories buried in the refuse of an eviction. He passed one of them on to Ardell and me. It's beautiful. Well, that's James. Or rather, that's one aspect of James. He's also the guy who finds lion's mane mushrooms in the flower bed of a municipal building that are as beautiful as anything you'll get at the farmer's market, and the guy who once had a potter friend make terracotta bells from clay he'd dug from an excavation site of a cheap hotel, and the guy who can tell you who is the most talented graffiti artist in his town at any time. Maybe you get the gist of James. And maybe in a minute, you'll even come to see why James is who came to mind for me as I read about Jesus sending 70 disciples, two by two, off into the nearby towns. These pairs may bring to mind missionaries you've encountered. I probably shouldn't admit it, but it makes me think of the movie Airplane. Remember Ted Stryker being accosted by proselytizers from, with flowers and tracks from every conceivable religious tradition until he goes into full martial arts mode to fend them off in the airport? Maybe not. Anyway, we think missionaries are bearing something they think the world needs. Maybe it's the truth they think will save you, or food and medicine they hope will nourish and heal you. But the idea is that the missionary has something she's been charged to deliver to a lost or a needy world, right? Well, did you notice how carefully Jesus told his followers that the sending of these 70s would not be that kind of project? He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. If there's a term for an anti-missionary, that's what these people seem to be. Consider first that metaphor of the harvest. It seems like a better one would be missionaries with a table at a market filled with healthy food to give away, but 
Jesus tells his followers that the world is what's full of life and fruitfulness and miracle. He's sending them out to go harvest it. He's also very explicitly sending these people out empty-handed, vulnerable. So there's no question at all who's providing something to whom. They're lambs, not wolves. They're the weak ones, not the ones with the power or in control. They'll walk into this world barefoot, without even a bag in which to carry a coin, saying, peace to this house, wherever they go. And if they're welcomed, he says they're to sit down to to a meal with their welcomers, and then go cure the sick, saying that the kingdom of God has come near. So can you see why my friend James came to mind, rather than any stereotypical missionary? Jesus is teaching his followers to see that the world beyond them is bursting with life and stories and possibilities. And he doesn't want them to believe for a second that they're the ones who have everything that's needed. I think he wants to give them and us eyes to see the world in a different way. So there seems to be something in a community that's willing to receive people with nothing to offer them that Jesus wants his disciples to notice and celebrate. And maybe it's that in towns like these, a culture is alive that's very similar to what he's trying to cultivate in these 70 disciples. A town that receives people who show up without bags or purses or sandals, that must be a place that's used to seeing the world beyond its borders, not just as full of threats and enemies, but as this great field of possibility ripe and ready for harvest. Community that sees the world like Jesus does would greet even an empty-handed stranger with welcome and expectation because even someone who appears to possess nothing surely embodies some kind of gift in this world God has chalked so full of gifts. But Jesus keeps talking and this nice, hopeful, expectant passage gets a little more ominous. What he says next is that even though this is a fruitful world ripe for harvest, some places can be dangerous and inhospitable to people they don't think have anything to offer. And here's the curious second part to Jesus' upside-down missionary project. He says that if you show up empty-handed in a town and they do not receive you, Don't go stand on the street corner and start converting the heathens. He says, get out of there. Shake the dust from your sandalless feet. You don't want anything of that place to cling to you. It's as if he's more worried that a place with anti-kingdom of God values such as these might contaminate the disciples that he's trying to form. I have to say this passage lands in a particular way on Independence Day weekend. I was taught as a boy to be proud that even if it was a gift from France, one of the symbols of what my country stands for is that statue in New York Harbor that bears a poem by Emma Lazarus. The last stand, maybe you memorized it, reads, Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips, give me you're tired, you're poor, you're huddled masses yearning to breathe free. 
the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed, to me. By the light of today's gospel, those words strike me as profoundly Christian. Not because the poet was a Christian, not because the poem makes any reference at all to the existence of God or Jesus of Nazareth. It's Christian only because it describes the kind of place Jesus tells his 70 disciples to go looking for, doesn't it? A place that welcomes the foreigner, not only if they come bearing wealth and advanced degrees, but a place that extends hopeful, vulnerable welcome to empty, poor, homeless, refugees, possibly fleeing some terrible far-off storm. There's a sense in which it makes no sense to call any earthly nation Christian, given so much of what Jesus taught about where our ultimate loyalties must lie. A nation certainly isn't Christian because it says prayers to a Christian God before football games or swears in its presidents with their hands on a Bible, inside of which Jesus happens to say quite clearly, don't swear like that. But a nation, a city, a state, a community, these can act in ways that are more or less in alignment with the reign of God. So when you and I find ourselves living in a place where fear of foreigners, suspicion of people of other races and religion is alive and actually being whipped up and encouraged, it's not that Jesus says, well, that's just to be expected. Cities and nations don't usually act like Christian communities. It's not what he said to the 70. He said, watch out. He said, shake the dust from your feet. You may have to leave because I can't have you contaminated by the values of a culture like that one. It's not that it's insufficiently Christian or just imperfectly Christian. Suspicion and exclusion of the alien and the foreigner and the outsider is actively anti-Christian. It's directly opposed to the reign of God. More locally, I think it means that if you're a downtown church in Memphis, Jesus doesn't care much if we carry shiny crosses and have prayer books in the pews. If we don't look at people who don't seem to possess anything, people who don't look like us or talk like us or who didn't go to the same schools as we did, if we're not a place of openness and welcome to precisely these, we're simply not an outpost of the kingdom of God, no matter what we say we believe. But the good news is this. Jesus said the reign of God really is alive in the world whether we know it or not. Which means it's alive in downtown Memphis. It means it's ripe and it's ready for harvest. All we have to do to experience it is open ourselves curiously to the next empty-handed strangers who show up at our doors. And when we do, what Jesus says is not that we'll then get credit for being good Christian people. No, he says that the people we welcome in who seem to have nothing of value to offer us at all, they will be the bearers of our healing. We'll be cured of our sicknesses by them. Isn't that what the story says? So Calvary, let's continue to explore what it means to be a community of welcome like Jesus sent those 70 disciples on the road one day to find. Let's continue to open ourselves more fully to the ripeness of what God's planted all in the world around us. It might involve, and you knew I was going to say it, 
shaping our buildings and our block into even more inviting and open places where these kind of sacred encounters can more readily take place. It might involve ongoing discernment in our vibrant community ministries, making sure that we're not just providing what we think people need, but are opening ourselves to be changed by the people who come to Calvary without shoes or purses, just like the people Jesus sent out into the world. But maybe the reign of God springs into view just as surely just when a grown-up agrees to teach godly play and is astonished to find that it's the kids who have led her into new understandings of God, as one best remember told us all about on Tuesday night. Maybe it becomes visible when someone bearing a chalice at communion thinks he's the one ministering until he looks down the line of kneeling people who've brought their griefs and joys, their ordinary and miraculous stories with them to the rail and Now he's suddenly choking back tears to tell them that the blood of Christ is what's in the cup. The reign of God may spring a little more into view every time one human being simply looks over at another one, not wondering what she has to offer or whether she might be of use, but looks at them as the strange miracle they are just by existing in this glorious and hurting and beautiful, bountiful harvest of the world that Jesus wants us to see for the miracle that it truly is. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.